Um, Tonight's Bible reading is from 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars who have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to your brothers, you will be a good minister of the Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of faith and the good teachings that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness have value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, and for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and decline closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thanks, Sharon. Hi, everyone. I invite you to leave your Bibles open. We're going to begin there and I invite you to bow with me in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you that you're a God who has blessed us, a God who continues to provide for us, and a God who intends good things for us. Thank you, Lord, for this passage, and we pray tonight that as we look at it, you might help us to do our bit, to concentrate, to evaluate, and to apply. And Lord, we also look to you that you might assist us by your Holy Spirit, that we might be people of your word, fully obedient and pleasing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Rondra and I like to go to the movies. We don't go a lot, uh, but when we do go, we usually, 99% of the time, enjoy ourselves. And sometimes on holidays, we splurge out. We might do two movies in one day. And we've even done three on some occasions. The Bible commands us to live life to the full and to enjoy ourselves. Usually by the third movie, you can't remember what the first movie was about. And on very rare occasions, we've come out, we normally give a mark out of 10 for movies. And, you know, like uh, uh, a good one, what's that mean? You know, seven, eight, and sometimes we give nine because it's outstanding. But if you get a six or a five, then it's not as good. Uh, We very rarely score below four uh, because most of the movies we select, we enjoy to some extent. Um, And we went recently and one of the great things about movies is the previews, the trailers they show at the front. 
So you pay to go see a movie, but you also get this little glimpse of some of the movies that are coming out. And some of those are sometimes really engaging. And you watch it and you nudge each other and you think, we need to go see that one. And sometimes you see them and you go, I want to see that one. And people around you are different. Last time we went, we went and saw Pirates of the Caribbean was the last movie we had just seen about a week ago. Um, it's a good movie. Don't go. Um, <laughs> Rhonda enjoyed it. Um, and one of the good things about it were some of the previews. There's a movie about Planet of the Apes coming out. And it's rising about, if you're old as me, then um, you'll know you would have seen Charlton Heston in the original ones. Well, this is the one that goes before them, so it ties it together. And Oh, we have to go see that. And there's a few other really interesting ones coming out and there are some really stupid-looking ones coming out. Different tastes, you see. Why do they show trailers? Because they want you to engage and they want you to come back. And people do. We do. So too, the biggest movie, if you like, the biggest show in the world which is coming to town. The Heavenly Father is the producer, the Holy Spirit is the director, and the Lord Jesus himself is the star of this one. It's the kingdom of God coming in this worldwide production. The skies will open up, the trumpet will shout. Well, it won't, it'll sound, and the Lord will shout, and he will descend. He will descend, and depending on your own theology, he will either set up his kingdom rule then, either for millennium or for eternity. Either way, he will come to rule. In the meantime, between now and then, go to the next slide, Josh. In the meantime, between now and then, God has got trailers. God has got previews of that coming attraction. And the previews are both us as followers of the Lord Jesus individually but also us as a community of God's people. We are meant to be a demonstration, an attractive indication of that which is coming. It's like the God can say to the people in the world, look at this, and people will say, I want a ticket. How do I get it? And the answer is a nice one. The tickets have already been bought. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is say to the Lord Jesus, I want to be part of that coming attraction. I want to be part of the kingdom of God. And so tonight we're talking about being committed, consistent, passionate followers of the Lord Jesus, being godly, to be the sort of people that God can point, tell Satan, have you considered my servant X, like he did with Job? Satan didn't find Job. God pointed Job out to him as a... a a demonstration, an indication of someone who was sold out completely in obedience to him. That's what this passage uh, Paul is calling Timothy to do and through that is certainly calling us to do. There are three key truths that I have for you tonight because that's what Aaron Lee said that all sermons should have. Three points. Oh, go away. Um, first point. God wants us to enjoy all of the good things that he has made and to be thankful. God wants to live our lives full of life, full of joy and with gratitude. Why? Well, verses 3 to 5 is those who believe and know the truth understand this and practice it. If you have a look at verse 3, it talks about um, God created certain things to be received with thanksgiving uh, by those who believe and who know the truth. Believers understand this concept that there is a creator and he's a good creator and he intends good things for us. Verses 1 to 2 indicate for us that not everybody believes this. Not everybody gets it. 
And some people may very well start in this process, but along the way they fall aside or they depart deliberately. There will always be casualties, always. Some people will shipwreck their faith. We saw that back in chapter 1. Uh, some people shipwreck their faith by simple choices. They could have been academically argued out of the process of following the Lord Jesus or on many occasions, many occasions, it's not that they have objections to Christianity, it's just that they have been distracted distracted by the things of the world, like Demas in another passage, a follower with the Apostle Paul, but who gave up following Jesus because the things of the world attracted him. Um, I didn't think of this, but I've often considered, if you drive in the country, and we probably all have done that at some point, and you're driving along the road, and occasionally you'll find sheep or cattle will be out of the paddock, won't they? How did they get there? Well, usually the cattle got there because that's where the owners have put them, but sheep... All the sheep are in the paddock, but this one, maybe two, this few are outside and they're not supposed to be. How did they get there? Accidentally. One farmer has indicated the sheep get there quite accidentally. They put their head down, they're eating grass and they just keep moving. They put their head down and they keep eating grass and they get distracted. They've got so much nice grass, they just suddenly find themselves somewhere through a hole in the fence. They find themselves on the other side of the fence and they don't know their way back. It's the drift factor and that many people drift from the Lord Jesus simply by being attracted to the things of the world. I won't read my Bible as much this week. I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to play sport or whatever it is I'm going to do or I'm so busy with my job or career or whatever. It's easy to neglect the things that are important. The beginning part of this chapter reminds us as followers of the Lord Jesus that not everybody who starts the journey will complete the journey. There will always be casualties. The Lord Jesus indicated that by the story of the four soils. Some began, some received the gospel, but then through temptation or pleasures or whatever trials, they give up, they go away. Some people get excited and begin the Christian journey, but they burn out. And give up. Some encounter problems which they didn't expect. They thought all of their problems are going to be solved. Or they encounter criticism and they are greatly discouraged by it. Others start the Christian journey and they expect instant results. And when that doesn't happen, that which was promised to them is not delivered, then they give up, run dry, walk away. We ought not to be surprised that not everybody is going to make the full journey. The question for us tonight is, will we? Will we continue? Will we persevere? As we follow the Lord Jesus, then verses 1 and 2 remind us that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. There are spirit beings around us. We live in a physical, spiritual world tormented by microphones. The Spirit expressly says in verse 1 that in latter times... That's the time from the cross until the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But this passage is probably looking even further forward than that. Towards the end of time, there is this predicted great apostasy where this will become quite common, sadly, that some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, usually not overtly, but rather more subtly. Such teachings, you see, from these demonic sources comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. There is this um, combination of spiritual beings linking with human beings, false teachers, who have 
through various life choices, uh, seared their consciences and hence are far more susceptible to spiritual deception. And that these people are not just outside the church, but as Acts reminds us, Acts chapter 20, these people can often be inside the church and they will deliberately seek, they are hypocritical liars, they're hypocritical liars. They know the truth, but they deliberately tell you a lie because they have a goal. Their goal is to con you. Their goal is to lead you astray. You may have read the papers recently and even some people in our own congregation were affected by the um, getting solar panelling put on your roof in your home and people going around, this one particular guy in our area, uh, going around and endearing himself, trustworthy, uh, tells an incredible story. He was a con artist and he was ripping people off and people were paying him hundreds of dollars as a deposit. And as I said, you might be aware that some folk in our own church were deceived by him. That's how the evil one works usually. He can work blatantly and obviously, but usually he's far more subtle and he picks his targets. The goal for the evil one, we should be aware of this, is always to uh, target the truth. Truth is always the casualty. Now be aware of this in your own life. There are people who seek, as followers of the Lord Jesus even, they will seek to minimise God's truth. Their attitude will be one of, um, they will know we are Christians by our love. We have to, at all circumstances, to love others. Well, that's true. But sometimes what I'm trying to illustrate is that some people take that, which means if I'm going to love people, then I can't disagree with them. And that they water down, they tolerate all sorts of nonsense. They don't stand for any particular truth, which means they are susceptible to fall for any. If someone speaks out, bringing correction of saying, no, look, that's not true, even if it's done graciously, these people respond by saying, that's divisive, you're being unloving. Be aware of the tendency to minimise God's truth for the sake of acceptance or of popularity. The other extreme from that, how the evil one can attack us and slowly trick us, is that uh, some followers of the Lord Jesus are incredibly zealous, passionate about truth, but they, they maximise their understanding of truth. Believe as I do, say it as I do. And they're prepared to shred relationships, to separate from fellowship, and it leads often, more often than not, to spiritual pride of arrogance because they have the truth and they are consumed by their passions, by their perceptions, by their understanding of doctrine. You might know people like that. There was, uh, I've mentioned him before, I won't name him, but we had an acquaintance, we were friends for 20 plus years. We were part of the planting a church together and, but he became increasingly like this second type person. Had to say the truth the way he wanted it. You had to believe what he believed and he was right and everybody else was wrong. Well, some of those sorts of influences are certainly going on here. And if you have a look at verse 3, these false teachers who are impacted by demonic spirits are forbidding people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. The very things that God has provided for us, these teachers are coming along and forbidding that which God gave us to enjoy. They're saying, because of their own beliefs, no. We don't know exactly what these false teachers were, but there were certainly 
people in the early church and in the early centuries who had this mistaken idea if I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, if I've been baptised, if I've died to my old way of life and I've risen with him to a new way of life, then I should be living my paradise life, my heavenly life. And if I'm doing that, well, in heaven there is no marriage. So therefore, we as followers of the Lord Jesus shouldn't be married. And that in heaven, we won't be eating animals. We'll probably be more like vegetarians, like Adam and Eve would have been, if you read Genesis, than it's fruits and vegetables they were given. Then that's what we should be, vegetarians. Now, maybe it was something like that. But these sorts of things have continued to uh, emerge or show their heads throughout church history. Let me pick the first one, uh, about forbidding marriage. I hope it surprises you. I hope it shocks you. It does me. I'll name them, they're outstanding church fathers. There's a guy by the name of Tertullian and another one by the name of Ambrose. It doesn't matter if you've read about them or not. They both said that they preferred the extinction of the human race, that that was preferred than to a married couple having sexual relations. Church fathers taught that. Forbidding to marry, how it can even permeate the church. Even Augustine one of the great theological minds of the last two millennia. He said that while having sex in marriage is an innocent thing, but to actually enjoy it, well, that was sinful. And the Roman Catholic Church, of course, took it to another level. They kept adding particular holy days where married couples were forbidden to engage in the sex act together. The count got up to 183 per year. No wonder there was a reformation Believers know the truth. God gave marriage. God gave the idea of a man and a woman enjoying each other and expressing that through making love to each other. That's for married people. And it can be spoilt outside of marriage. It's not just a physical thing. It's a coming together at all sorts of levels. Emotional, mental, um, spiritually coming together, not just physically. All things have been given by God and all things from God are good because that's what he says in his word. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God looked at all he had made and he said, wow, that's good. It's very good, he says. Well, we know that. So therefore, we ought to partake of all of the things that God has given us in life. We ought not to restrict ourselves, but that doesn't mean we can be stupid or gluttons or foolish. But all things are open. I was once taught that we were forbidden as a follower of the Lord Jesus that you shouldn't eat um, prawns. Uh, it says so in the Bible. Except Jesus declared all foods clean. So now you can eat prawns. They forbid to marry and order, to, uh, and order them to abstain from certain foods. The reality is... As followers of the Lord Jesus, we follow him and his word. And it's God who created all things to be received with thanksgiving. We know the truth and that's what we will do. For everything that God created, verse 4, is good and nothing is to be rejected except cats. I don't think God actually created cats. So for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. Cats are evil. 
this is on tape and it'll go to the World Wide Web. Cats are evil. If it is received with thanksgiving, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. You see, this is what should dominate our thinking and our lifestyle because, Paul says, it is consecrated by the Word of God and by prayer. G.K. Chesterton says, you see, it's consecrated by prayer. That's where we say grace. That's what we say. But it's also consecrated by the Word of God, Genesis 1.31, that everything he had made is declared to be good. Nothing is off limits. In moderation, with sense. G.K. Chesterton, who was a brilliant author, he said, many people give thanks to God by simply saying grace before meals. He said, that's all right, and... I do that as well, but I also give thanks to God before I attend a play, before I go to the opera, before I open a book, before I sketch, paint, swim, fence, before I box, before I go walking, playing or dancing, and before I dip my pen in the ink to write, I give thanks to God for the experience that I'm about to have. I like that attitude. I think that's the attitude we ought to have. God calls us, wants us to enjoy all that he has made and to do so with an attitude of thankfulness, of gratitude, that we live our lives completely under his rule. The next time you go to the movies, give thanks to God for the experience you're about to have. Not just before you have the meal, but the next time you have an enjoyable, positive experience. Even going to work. Thank you, Lord, for health to go to work. Safety and travel. All of life. Give thanks to God. Verse 6 Paul says to Timothy, if you point this out to the brothers and sisters, then you'll be a good servant of the Lord Jesus, brought up on the truths of the faith, faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. He then goes on to say the second thing. Number one, God wants us to enjoy all that is made and to do so with thankfulness. Number two, the second truth for us tonight, God wants us to watch our spiritual diets and to train ourselves for godliness. I think up there I've just got our diets. I don't mean our physical diets, though we should. But in this passage, it's rather our spiritual diets. You see, he goes down to verse, what is it, verse 7? Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The old wives' tales are not old wives' tales. It's wives' old tales. I think... Well, otherwise you could pay attention to young wives' stupid tales, but he doesn't mean that. He's talking about don't get distracted by however interesting or exciting or stimulating it might appear to be. Stick to the truth. Stick to the Bible. Um, but I love verse 7. It says, not only have nothing to do with that, watch what you take in spiritually, what you feed yourself with and nourish yourself with, but he says to train yourself to be godly. Godliness, becoming more like the Lord Jesus, becoming the person God created us to be, firstly requires training. It doesn't just happen. And secondly, associated with that, I want to talk about it a bit more, is you've got to train yourself. It's not just others training you, and there is a role and a place for that. Pastors are appointed to the church to equip the saints, to train them in the works of the ministry. We are to do that. But likewise, we have a responsibility, train yourself. Why? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. He says, for physical training is of no value, but godliness has value for all things. Is that what it says? No. It says, for physical training is of some value. 
And it is for this life. It can't extend your life, but it can improve the quality of your life. So physical training has some value, but godliness, training yourself in godliness, that has value for this life, in all things in this life and in the life to come. There are two responses to this. Understanding that training in godliness is of great benefit to us. First response is in verse 9, full acceptance. This is a trustworthy saying and it deserves full acceptance. This is it. To live my life the way God has planned, the way God intends, is the best way that I can live. That's his point. That's what he's telling us to accept fully. The best way to live is with God. Everything else is second to that, is a far distance from that which is best. And we are tempted and we will continue to be tempted to put in all other sorts of substitutions to make ourselves happy, to be fulfilled. The God who made us wants to find fulfilment in this life, but it's with him. It's in relationship to him. Gratitude and thankfulness to him and living under his rules and his directions, training to be godly. People invest lots of time, money, effort and energy into shaping their bodies to be fit and to be attractive. It's commendable, it has value, but not if it's as expensive training in godliness. Some people spend a lot of time on their hair. I do every day. Mm, stop. Um, some people are really into shoes. I think it is a girl thing. I don't know if it's only a girl thing, but it's amazing. Some people are just so focused on money. Every, whatever it is, and you put in whatever you like, Every substitute or every departure from living my life the way God wants me to is less than the best. Certainly to go with God is costly. It involves denial and it involves missing out on what appears to be fun. But to live my life without God is even more costly. And I suggest to you tonight it's a demonic deception which cons us as followers of the Lord Jesus where instead of us going full on for God we sort of go 80% God, 20% the world. And it's 20% we think is giving us satisfaction when in fact we are being deceived. It's robbing us. So the Apostle Paul calls Timothy and the Spirit of God calls us, by all means exercise physically, benefit yourself now, but make it a priority to train yourself in terms of godliness. What will this require? Not just number one, full acceptance, but number two, it will also require great effort. He says in verse 10, and for this we labour and strive that we who have put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all men and especially of those who believe. For this we labour and strive. This is not easy. There's no quick fix. There's no effortless way. There's no do this conference, have this experience, read this book, try this method. All your struggles and problems will be over. That's all lies. And it's discipline, training, effort. It's ongoing. There are four things to notice about training, how we ought to do this. Training is an ongoing process, it's discipline. The word Paul is using, gymnazo, is the word where we get our gymnasium from. It's referring to the athletes who train passionately for their goal. It's very clear for them what they want, a gold medal, or in the ancient world, a wreath, and the prestige or the status of having been the winner. It's an ongoing process of training. It's not a one-off event. It's never, you can never say, I've arrived. That's as silly as me saying, listen, I've been going to the gym for the last five years 
and I think I've reached a stage in my life where I don't need to go anymore, what'll happen? Yeah, I'll turn to flab. Have a look at all the sports, sporting athletes who, as soon as they finish their career, as soon as they stop their intense training schedules, what happens to them? They all expand, don't they? Because they have to adjust. And it is a wrestle. I stopped that intense training about 40 years ago and I'm still adjusting. <laughs> Excuse me. You've got to keep at it. That's the point. It's an ongoing process. Number two, it's hard work. Uh, Paul sees the words uh, labour and strive. Some effort is required. It's not natural. You're not born with it. It's not a gift. It's something you have to choose on a regular basis, a daily basis, and it means you have to say no. You're going to train yourself to be godly. You have to deny yourself. You'll have to discard hindrances, whether that's TV, whether it's computer games, or whether it's a particular sin in your life. Here's a question for you. What is there in my life, your life, that is hindering my growth in godliness right now? What is there in my life that is a speed hump, which is slowing me down, which is distracting me, which is knocking me off course? Yet every three or four weeks I meet uh, I have an accountability group within the church. Uh, meet with three other guys in, inside our church, but I also meet with three other guys who are outside our church, who are either senior pastors or retired senior pastors. And in that other group that I meet with outside the church, um, we ask ourselves three questions. Number one, what is God saying to us recently? Number two, where do I need to persevere? Where is perseverance required in our lives? Where do we just need to keep going? Number three, where is it if Satan were to attack you, that that's most likely to be? Where are you struggling? And we seek to be honest with each other. What is there in your life that is hindering your growth in godliness? To discipline yourself, to train yourself will mean you need to discard these hindrances, put them aside, whatever they happen to be for you. And you do need to keep in mind the goal. Just like the athlete going for the gold medal, so for us, becoming more like the Lord Jesus. The process and we need to remind ourselves of that goal. God uses all sorts of avenues. He uses people to train us. He uses circumstances to train us. But in this instance, the passage is telling us that God also uses spiritual disciplines. He uses our choices. He uses the Word of God and personal commitment. Go to the next slide, Josh. God uses uh, other believers, people in our life. He uses time and trials, TNT. And he uses personal commitment and the Word of God. It's that third one that I'm talking about. Personal commitment and the scriptures. The Lord Jesus invites us to take up my yoke and learn from me. That we are to submit to his leadership in our life. We're not to dabble, but we are to be disciplined. And let me emphasize again, we are to train ourselves. If you rely upon your only biblical input into your life, if it's just coming in a service on Sunday, you will starve yourself. Imagine a 28, 29, 30-year-old person, son, living at home, goes to his dad one day, who's hungry, he's, goes, he's hungry and he goes to his dad and he says, I'm leaving this family. And the dad says, why are you leaving? He says, because I'm hungry. Nobody feeds me around here. What would the dad say to him? Feed yourself, wouldn't he? Feed yourself. 
Plenty of food is provided. God has ritually resourced us and we are responsible. Train ourselves, discipline ourselves, feed ourselves. Not exclusively and independently, but that's certainly part of it. Why? Well, next slide, Josh. Because there is a God who is real, who has a purpose for us, that this life is not all there is. And Paul says, strangely, and I suspect it's because of the false teaching that's going on. You've almost got to read that into it, don't you? But he says, we've put our hope in the living God who is the saviour of all men, especially of those who believe. It's quite possible Paul is just subtly countering what the false teachers might have been saving, that God doesn't save everybody. God just saves the elite. God just saves those with the inside knowledge. God just saves those on the inside. And Paul is countering that. No, God is the God who created all to be received with thanksgiving. God is the God who saves all people. He certainly wants to save all people and he will save those who believe. God is the saviour of all people generally in terms of he protects, he provides, he makes his sun shine, the rain fall on all people. He is the provider, saviour in that sense. But he is especially in terms of salvation, the saviour of those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Then he says that we are to, well, Timothy is to command and teach these things. And then there is rapid fire instructions. And this is the third point. First point, God wants us to enjoy all that he's made and to be thankful. Excuse me, in all circumstances of life, to be thankful. Number two, God wants us to watch our spiritual diets and to train ourselves for godliness. And especially through his word and our commitment to it, to obeying it. Number three, God wants us generally to watch our life, our behaviour and our beliefs. And he says to Timothy these quick things. Verse 12, um, uh, regardless of your age, you are to portray the reality of Christ in you. Don't let people look down upon you just because you were young, he says. But set the believers an example in speech in life, love, faith and in purity. Watch the way you talk. Watch your conversation in public and in private. Make sure it's a reflection of the Lord Jesus. And we all stumble in this, don't we? James says that. There's not a person alive who doesn't offend or sin with their tongue. It's so easy to stumble, both publicly but especially privately. Guard your lips. Be aware of it. Set one another example in that area. Watch your conduct, uh, the way you shop, the way you drive, the way you behave at a restaurant, or watch your life, your manners, in all sorts of normal situations. People are watching us and we need to be an attraction, a trailer for the coming kingdom of God. Watch your character. Make sure you're loving, your faith. Be a person of integrity and of trustworthiness and being reliable. Watch your purity, the Apostle Paul says. Be careful of the evil one because he will try to subtly lead you astray, just like that sheep, nibble, 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 drifting. There was an old pastor who taught me, watch particularly the temptation from gold, from girls and from glory. Watch the attraction of wealth and of money. Watch the attraction of people of the opposite sex. And watch the desire for glory, for prestige, to be, whether it's to be liked or whether it's to be esteemed highly. Glory, 
watch these temptations in your life. Godliness is all about consistency. I told you this story before and I'll remind you of it just very quickly. I think it was Howard Hendricks, a professor of Dallas Theological Seminary, who made a heart-rendering observation once that over a period of time, whatever the time was, a number of years, something like 246 pastors, 246, who had been through Dallas Theological Seminary, that they'd had some input into their training, 246 of them over a period of time had fallen, had succumbed to gold, glory or girls. They'd gotten off track. They'd been compromised. He rang them, contacted them, flew to speak to them, interviewed all of them and in two, all 246 instances he found these four things in common. Number one, these are all male pastors. Um, they found one, that they had, um, had spent time alone in a counselling situation, a reasonably dip crisis, difficult crisis and therefore led to an intimate sharing of information where they were one-on-one, -on -one, they were alone. First mistake. Secondly, all of them, all 246 said, I thought this would never happen to me. Third mistake, all 246 were not having regular quiet times, regular times alone with God, not training themselves in godliness, not reading his word, not responding to it. They had abandoned that. That had drifted or dropped from their spiritual practices. And number four, all 246 of them were not in any accountable group or any accountable relationship with anybody else. They were basically on their own thought they were invincible, can do it by myself and the evil one tricked them. Godliness is all about consistency. Set the believers an example, regardless of your age. Protect yourself and make sure that you're following closely the Lord Jesus. It goes on to say, give attention to Bible reading. Well, I've illustrated that. A chapter a day keeps the devil away. That's right, isn't it? Certainly, in reading your Bible consistently, regularly, carefully, intelligently responding to it will be an antidote to chapter 4 verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter time some will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The better you know your Bible, the better prepared you will be. Thirdly, he says not just uh, get, give attention to Bible reading but also participate using your spiritual gifts. Discover it, develop it. Uh, Pastor David, part of his job description is that he's going to run a course on discovering spiritual gifts. He'll help you to identify how God has wired you and that'll come later this year or sometime next year. I'm not sure where we were talking about that. But that's his job, go to him. Either way, don't sit back, roll up your sleeves, get involved, use your gifts. There's plenty of places to serve. And it was lovely to see some young folks and some other folks serving tonight not just in terms of communion, but also in the offering. And We encourage you, step up, get involved. Verse 15, he says, practice. What's the old adage, practice makes? That's not true. Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does make better. I think it was Paderewski, you know, the famous pianist. I think he's the one who said, when I stop practicing the piano, if I stop for one day, I notice. If I stop for two days, my teacher will notice. If I stop for three days, the neighbours will notice. We need to commit ourselves to a consistent um, process 
I'll read these phrases out for you. Verse 7, train yourself. Verse 10, work hard and strive. Verse 13, give attention to. Verse 14, don't neglect. Verse 15, practice, be diligent. Verse 16, be conscientious, persevere. God has acted in our lives, saved us by grace, but he is involving us and calling us to respond. Our practice and our progress is to be evident, visible to others. We are to be growing and becoming more like the Lord Jesus. This will counter the drift in our lives. So three things. Number one, God wants us to enjoy all that he's made and to be thankful. How can you do that more in your life? How can you do it this week? How can you consciously be more thankful for all of the good things that God has provided for you? Number two, God wants us to watch our spiritual diets and to train ourselves for godliness. How can you do that? Which area of your life do you need to intentionally be training yourself in, to be improving your life in as you follow the Lord Jesus? What area this week will you be working on? Set the course, train hard. And number three, God wants us to watch our life and our beliefs. What do you need to watch about your life? Is it your speech? Is it your character? Is it your service? Is it your outward behaviours? Is it your private life? Is it your Bible reading? Is it avoiding some things, myths and fables and other sorts of things? How will you respond to what God desires for us to be trailers, indicators of the coming kingdom of God? so that God can use us to glorify Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who was at work in the world. You're the one who created the world. You're the one who came up with all these incredible ways for us to have joy and pleasure. Lord, help us to live our life to the full and to be thankful, consciously, intentionally, giving thanks to you. Lord, help us likewise to watch ourselves, to watch our spiritual diets and to be training, disciplining ourselves as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to evaluate our life, um, the way we speak, the way we behave and the things we believe and line us up according to your will that Jesus might be real in us and seen in us. We ask in his name and for his sake. Amen.